Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Hello everyone and a very warm welcome to the latest edition of the Exton Moss Experiment. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And tonight the randomizer has picked for us Mummy on the Orient Express, a P.C. Capaldi episode from Series 8. Which I loved at the time. Yes. And I haven't actually seen since, so I'm really looking forward to this one. There were many trains to take the name Orient Express, but only one in space. Good morning, everyone. Your goal is to ascertain the foretold truth. Nature! Exactly what this sounds like. Isn't this exciting? Conventional weapons have no effect on the foretold. It's immortal, unstoppable, unkillable. Oh, the randomizer has struck lucky this time because I really, really love this one. It's from uh, it's one from Peter Capaldi's first season, which is it's a bit patchy. I think the. Um, uh, most of the, the New Who series really have been patchy in terms of quality, but then the classic ones were. But this is definitely one of the standouts for me. I've seen it quite a few times. And it's nice to have an Agatha Christie-ish themed thing that we mm. can actually watch, because we will not be watching The Unicorn and the Wasp. Gareth Roberts. Oh, yes, yes, you've got... Uh... Yes, a, a lingering respect for human beings and think that they should be treated with respect, so he can do one. This is your area of of no. I I sort of uh, what, I don't no with people people with respect. No, I think no. it should be everybody's area of expertise. You know how I I go on often one about Mason's tea gin. We we shouldn't go near Gareth Roberts with you because he is he is your Mason's tea gin. <laughs> His comments certainly are. And do you know what? If because of Graham Linham's comments, I will not watch Black Books again. I can sure as hell not watch anything that Gareth Roberts has written again. And I will not be watching Black Books again until he rethinks his attitudes. Having said that, if either of them publicly rethink their attitudes and are prepared to behave like normal, decent human beings, then I'll watch their stuff again. I suspect neither of them give a totally shite what I think, but it's, <laughs> it's not down to what they, what they care about. It's down to what I care about. Now, I think we need to... I need, I need to step back from the rant... Should I I get the tonic screwdriver out and open the bottle? I think we should. We are going to have a bottle of lovely gin that I picked up on a recent trip to Lithuania. And it's called Thorn Gin. And they've really excelled themselves at the info bollocks. Because what they say is it's dangerous and sharp, light and strong, the edgy, sophisticated origin and spirits together... With tender classical ingredients is our sword, letting no compromise in respect of customer and quality, original and distinctive. And then it goes on to say, uh, classical juniper flavour with a combination of dill and orange zest creates a unique handcrafted gin um, produced in small batches in Vilnius, Lithuania. Well, so there we go. I'm certainly getting the dill. Mm, I think it's lovely. Mm. And I'm not normally a big fan of dill, but this works really nicely and I wouldn't peg it as orange. I'd certainly, I'd certainly get citrus from yeah. it. Yeah, it's another one of those gins that bizarrely reminds me of sparkle ice lollies from when I was a kid. Mm, this is lovely. I mean, I, I may have drunk quite a bit of this when I was in Lithuania. It's hovering between three and four, and I can't make up my mind. It's four for me. It's a nice strong one, which I like. I think this is forty percent. This one. Yes. Yeah. 
Having said that, my current favourite is uh, a 57% gin, which we will come on to later. It's definite four territory. Yeah, yeah we'll give that a four. So that's Thorn Gin. Thorn Gin from Vilnius. No idea if you can get it in this country because I picked it up in duty free. Pick up your glass. It's time to descend into the bowels of Podcasting House and pull out some more lost television from the Black Archive. What I would like to get is a series from 1948 called The Detection Club. Now, The Detection Club was a group of British mystery writers um, founded in the 1930s by the likes of Agatha Christie, Dorothy Sayers, Baroness Auxey was involved, I think G.K. Chesterton was, I think, their first president. And basically they got together and um, had dinner and talked shop. And in the 1940s, there were half a dozen plays put out on the BBC written by members of the Detection Club. Oh, right. And I think Agatha Christie's one exists, but I don't think all of them exist. So I would like to have that back. And that ties in quite nicely with it. With the, the theme of tonight's episode, well, I am going to go for His Lordship Entertains. We usually try and um, pick something out of the archive that's reasonably relative to what we're watching. I've had trouble tonight, but His Lordship Entertains uh, was Ronnie Barker's second sitcom to feature Lord Rustless. And by this point, he'd moved from ITV to BBC. It was thought that all seven episodes were missing. Uh, one turned up in 2009, but six of them are still missing. I just love anything to do with Ronnie Barker. I think he was uh, brilliant at writing comedy. Everything that he's ever done, with the possible exception of his very last one, Clarence, wasn't amazing. And I think he'd admit that uh, if he was still here. But Lord Rust- the Lord Rustless character was um, interesting. So that's my choice for tonight. That sounds pretty good. Here we are, back on our famous squeaky leather sofa. We are joined tonight, Spaff the Silurian. <laughs> Spaff, you're more than welcome to comment. Is your species the only intelligent life form? <laughs> <laughs> I better not be speechless because we're doing a commentary on this one. Without further ado, Ron VT, Mummy on the Orient Express. <laughs> Now, even though this is not a period drama, it's still a period piece. And as ever, the BBC have excelled themselves. And it looks gorgeous. I can never remember where I've seen her before. The old lady on the train, who is the first to see the mummy. Oh, she was in Curse of Fenrir, wasn't she? Oh, she was the landlady. Yeah. Yes. But she's one of those who was in things like... I'm sure she was in things like Heidi High or Yurang Malord or something like that. Yeah. It really does look absolutely gorgeous. Do you know, first time around, I, I never noticed the chair she was in. And then the camera pulls out to reveal that it's actually an old-fashioned train in space. In space. I did like these credits. Took it a little while to to grow on me. They were, I must admit, I, I felt the same way. This was um, they were based on a fan title sequence, which, if you look it up, it's almost identical. And the mill have titled it up. I actually think the fan version is better. Um, 
But the one thing I never really warmed to was this version of the theme. I just think it's a little whiny. Oh, nice costume. Oh, he's in his dinner suit and she's in a 1920s flapper outfit. And he's in his not really sure how to be human thing. Yes. And controlled hair, unlike later iterations where it yes, becomes where a bit unwieldy. See, over the years, I, I straight away, I liked Capaldi's portrayal of it. And he is now my favourite new Who Doctor. I just think that abrasiveness that he's got. Yeah, it's very heart Yes, but with the sarcasm and wittiness ramped up a little bit. And... Abra- yeah, abrasive's the word. Um... I do like that um, the remix Don't Stop Me Now. Yeah. She is actually a, a quite a famous singer. I can't remember her name at all. Uh, kind of reminds me of the um, cover versions they did in Dark City. Never seen... It's, that's the, the comic book, comic noir series, isn't it? Dark City is a fantastic film that gets appallingly ripped off by Big Finish in one of their more dreadful offerings. Natural History of Fear? Yes. And they are so blatant about the fact that they rip it off. And everybody goes on about what a clever story it is. It is a clever story. But it's not there. But it's That's not what he likes, is it? With the, yes. Yeah. I went to a concert once. I can't remember who it was. But do you know what the singer said? Well, frankly, that would be an absolutely astonishing guess that I didn't know. She said, Hatred is too strong an emotion to waste on someone that you don't like. Oh, that's a load of bollocks. Yes, it is. My goodness me, she is beautiful. Really? Yeah. Oh, she is... Better looking than Mary Town. I mean, less drag queeny, obviously. You're going to use ultra thin ice. Although, in that outfit, possibly not. I'm sure you wouldn't rather rest in your That man's a liar. Perhaps you'd allow Mr. Carlyle to escort you there. He's another one, the captain of the train. I've seen a few things I can never really ping down. I think he played Obadiah Slope. No, he was the cousin, wasn't he? In oh, possi- possibly it's all a bit period drama for me. He's one that's always in good stuff, even if he's rarely mm. the lead in it. See, the one thing about him, uh, Capaldi's doctor, he's not afraid to have a drink in his hand, and it really suits him. Yeah. There's a scene in Deep Breath right at the end. With a decanter of whisk. I know, I, I know you don't like deep breath, but let, look at it then as style over substance. If you don't like the story and you think that it's a bit of a. And admittedly, it's flawed, but as a, a stylistic piece, it's pretty bloody beautiful from beginning to end. But he has this decanter of whiskey at the end and quite seriously says, Have a drink, I have a horrible feeling, I'm going to have to kill you. As he sat there with his nursing this whiskey. And now he's got a glass of champagne in his hand as he's admiring the nebula that are out there. And I think he has a drink in the captain's office later on in this episode. Um, but Hartnell's doctor drank wine. Pertwee's doctor drank... A wine with uh, cheese. 
in Day of the Daleks, I seem to remember. I'm sure there was a brandy somewhere along the lines. There's a great scene in uh, Last of the Gathering by Mark Gatiss, the book, where... Oh, where it's the Doctor and the Master Having down. brandy by the fire. Yes. And you can completely picture that. Jenna Coleman in silk pyjamas, what's not to like, on silk sheets. I know I might not be talking to the right man not on that really. score. On the other hand, they did... I was about to say, male companions, who is the one that gay men go for male-wise? New who or old who? Um, I can't tell you what gay men would go for. I can tell you what... But what would you go for? Me. New who, Danny Pink. Right. Um, Captain Jack is just a bit too pretty. Yeah, you don't really do pretty boys, do you? Outland, you surprised me with that. Toby, I thought, would have been the one that everybody thought was... Even I thought he was a handsome guy. Absolutely plastic. Classic who? I do like like Perkins. This is... uh, Frank Skinner's just come on screen as Perkins. And he's very underrated as Frank Skinner as an actor because whatever he's been in... It's been... I mean, he's not done many acting roles, but whatever he's been in, it's been good. And he is really, really good in this. Yes, because it's no... There's no, oh, Doctor, aren't you, t- aren't you clever? It's, do you know what, Doctor? I'm not actually an idiot, so please don't treat me like one. I really wish he'd stayed on as companion. He'd be so much more interesting than Graham. No, at the if, end, when... Because he even gets offered. Yeah, but if we'd had a few episodes of Capaldi... Perkins and Clara. That would have been a really nice team. Okay, classic companions. Um, they're all a bit young, to be honest. Okay. The the most handsome is Stephen by right. a country mile. But he's kind of the spit of my dad at that age. So, yeah. No, 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 no. So on reflection, it would have to be Ian. Bit straight-laced. See, even though he is, I was about to say very foolishly by a country mile, the worst companion we've ever had. Ian? No, 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 no. I would, Adric, I would have thought Matthew Waterhouse would have been one of those boyish types that was quite appealing to well, gay men in general. Possibly. Matthew Waterhouse now mm. is a nice looking fella. Matthew Waterhouse then was a kid. And that's just a bit creepy. Well, yeah, no, but you would have been maybe a bit younger, but you wouldn't have been that much younger. Yeah, but even when I was a teenager, I wasn't going to teenagers. Hmm. And see, pretty much all of the others from the classic series, with the exception of Harry, were very young. Right. And Harry had that appalling 70s sideburns thing. Which True. Mary Tam is, is head and shoulders above all classic companions. For a long time, Polly? Um, she's very pretty, but she's... I've never looked at her in that way. Well, for a long time, during my adolescent years, Nicola Bryant. There are a couple of prominent reasons why. But no, it's it's Mary Tam. Jenna Coleman in Doctor Who. I think it's the character. The character of Clara is just fantastic. The the whole package... um, because I've seen her in other things, and it's she's not had that. Well, she's Victoria, thing. isn't she? She is. Which I, I, I'm not wildly keen on, but I'm not wildly keen on those sort of historical soap type things. 
Oh no, you see, this is just lovely. Bit where they, um, the mummy is, is chasing the cook in the freezer. And it's just beautifully done. It's a tricorder. <laughs> it almost looks cinematic, these sets. The money, I, I've now lost track of how much money they spent per episode. But even for New Who, this looks good. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. And there's been quite a few. The, the one, the first one that ever stood out to me as being so cinematic it hurts was The Impossible Planet. That was cinematic in scale. The only one that's leapt out as a bit crap is The Beast Below. Mm, yes, I suppose. I, I was never convinced at all by the sets on that, particularly the, um, the stomach scene. Yeah, and... There you go, whiskey. Whiskey, you see, there he is. Very stingy measures of whiskey, admittedly. Not up to Exton Moss standards at all. Clearly not. But equally, it's whiskey and I'd not thank you for it. No, I'm not. It's paint stripper. Somebody offered me, a few years ago, um, a glass of 75-year-old whiskey. And I said, please, please do not waste it on me. I'm not going to enjoy it. And they were insisting... And I tasted it, and it was just 75-year-old paint stripper. It's yeah. not for me. Prime example of what yes, you were saying. Yes, don't, don't treat me like an idiot. Which is why I think you make a yeah, wonderful would. companion. And particularly to as abrasive a yeah. character as um, early Twelfth Doctor, yeah. What would be a fantastic combination? Capaldi, Perkins, Donna. Oh, now. I'm more of a fan of Donna than you are. I'm a fan of Donna. I'm not a fan of Catherine, Catherine Tate. I think Donna was a wonderful character, and I think 99% of the time, Catherine Tate does her angry acting and pulls it off well. The problem comes on the rare occasions where she needs to do something else, and she doesn't have the acting chops for it. We'll do Silence in the Library at some point, and I'll, I'll show you that, that's, exactly that's the exact, well, it's the, the bit with the children, The bit it? with the children. She's supposed to be saying, no, they're not real, but emotionally believe that they're real and it's just not there I just think if you put three <laughs> abrasive might be sure, but three antagonistic characters that just don't take any messing in one dynamic mix it wouldn't last long and the one that would come off the worst Donna. would be Donna yeah because she's pure strop I'm just I'm looking forward to the day when the randomizer picks twice upon a time as a swan song for Capaldi uh, and as I've said before, nothing really happens in it. It's story-free, but as, just as a, a piece of spectacle and just letting him rip with sarcasm and just being the Twelfth Doctor. I love that one. Yes. Yeah, Plus I, it's I, got I, David Bradley in it, who does an excellent turn as the First Doctor. I'm trapped! And you see, I don't think Perkins would leave it that long to end up saying, look, shut the hell up and listen yeah. to me. Computer, can you open the door, please? Call me, Duff. I'm afraid this door can only be opened by a 
it's, it, that's, it's a bit of a waste of John Sessions. It kind of reminds me of Max Capricorn. Oh. Without the whole final denouement thing. You see what I mean? I can see where you're coming from. I just think to waste John Sessions as a voiceover, they could have got somebody good to do it and have the menace that's later. Nick Briggs does fantastic voice work. Yes. But uh, have you ever heard Death Comes to Time? Yes. Yeah. He's brilliant in that, John Sessions. Yes. He does a wonderful Tom Baker. Does he? Mmm. Alistair Pearson, the artist, his Tom Baker is Bob on. Nobody does Tom Baker like that. There are clips of him online. It's well worth a look. The space CGI is slightly ropey. Mm, yes, yeah. Did he just take his pulse with gloves on? Yeah, for about half a second. Oh, that set is just beautiful, isn't it? Yes. Now this... I'm really... I hate handheld camera work. I just don't like it at all. It adds a dimension of realism that they have done it handheld. Yeah. That the, the train is moving. It's one of those... If you, if you do it right, and it's not the entire way that it's filmed, yeah. then it, it can work and it can give emphasis. The problem comes when you have things like the, the Ava Andromeda remake where it's entirely... No, that was just... And it just comes across looking a bit cheap. Well, it's trendy, isn't it? It's, and I don't, I don't do trendy. Oh, and then there's this scene where the entire train changes. It's so beautifully done. Look at that. <laughs> yes, it, it's a shame that they. Um, it's a 1930s-style set has gone. But actually, what they've replaced it with looks really good as well. Mm. It's scrolling ahead a little bit, but you never actually find out who's behind all this. Just, That's great. Yeah, it's just really bringing the... Alien. Uh, alien, otherworldly, not really getting what's going on around him, even though he intellectually knows what's going on around him. And liking people, but really not understanding them at yeah. all. And... and there goes Grayson from Emmerdale. There goes who? Grayson from Emmerdale. I never really watched Emmerdale. I, I watched it because my ex-wife did. And after that, never did. I'm more of an archer fan. You see, I, I'm with you on that. The CGI there just looked like a model. Yeah. A poor model at that. And would it really diminish that much from the plot if it was Orient Express on rails? Having said that, they wouldn't be able to do that decompression and then the, the threat they have at the end. Mm if it weren't in space. 
and that was just horribly amoral. Yeah. He does kind of remind a lot of Pertwee and that. He is very Pertwee-esque. Even down to the costume, well... Oh, do you not think it's the, the costume is more Hartnell in the gunfighters? I've always thought Pertwee, right, from uh, when was, his first promo shot was launched. The black, not frock coat, but overcoat with the red velvet lining and yeah. certainly the, the ribbon tie in this. Even down to the poses that he pulls in promotional shots. Yeah. They're all very Pertwee-esque. It's not a big part, and it's not an over-the-top performance, but it, it's a really, really good yeah, performance he's putting in. There's nobody in this that's a poor performance, really. They're all... I don't know, Daisy's a bit diving at him. True, but again, she... But she, she's not really... Ooh. Now that's quite creepy. Yeah. The fingers coming through the eye sockets from behind. This all just looks lovely. Although they, they did fall into the cliche of it's a laboratory, therefore there must be coloured liquids in test tubes. True. <laughs> and you see, oh, this oh. is why it would work yeah, so well as a companion. Actually, forget Donna, Romana. Ah, now that, yeah. Somebody who could give as good as they got. And. Because Romana takes a piss out of the doctor. The Mary Tam dismissive early Romana. Oh, I was thinking more Lala Ward. Because you've got Lala Ward, she's developed that self confidence where she can outsmart the Doctor mm. and make him look a bit daft, actually. And Perkins would take the piss out of both of them. Probably less so out of Romana, but that would work. The look. Oh, that was just, it's yeah. just a lovely set of reactions from... Um, Frank Skinner, the... And, and Jenna Coleman. And Capaldi as well, actually. Yeah. Do you know, I didn't pick up on that first time around, that, um, the whole her test in the force field. Yeah, the force field around the TARDIS. Even for the TARDIS, I knew no harm to And you see this bit where he does go out of his way to, to save her. Yeah. But he's not doing it to save her. He's doing it out of... And he's not doing it as a favour to Clara or anything. He's doing it because it's the way he can do his whole one minute with the, the mummy and it's sorted. He's doing a, a wonderful sort of working speeded up Sherlock Holmes. 
all the bioconnectors hanging off it like seaweed are a bit unpleasant. And the exp- that explosion looked a little bit ropey. Mm. Oh, that music, the Twelfth Doctor's theme. And he's back in his frock coaty thing. Yes. Or is it the same frock coaty thing? He's just taken the. No, no, no. That, is, is, that was a proper dinner suit that he was in. What I never really appreciated with Capaldi's Doctor was when they messed about and they put him in all sorts of hoodies and jumpers and things. I, I thought that the original outfit that he had, the frock coat and buttoned up shirt without a tie and the waistcoat, that worked far better. It's very doctorish. Mm. That city in the background, is that new New Earth? It looks very similar. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he does have some lovely moments, doesn't he? He does. And... You see, that was... That whole staring off into the distance contemplative was almost there are some corners of the universe. And here it is. Lovely dialogue, but what a... It was such a shame. I do really like Capaldi's TARDIS set. Yeah. Much more than what we've got at the moment. (laughs) Look at the beautiful design work there. Different levels. Um, And the the whole library thing. And the hexagonal almost throwback to the roundels. It's 360 degrees. And the new TARDIS set... It's just bland with Father Jack's earwax as the time rotor. The lighting. The, the lighting makes this. It's the, the lighting, the design. I suppose that's the same, same thing because the lighting is part of the design. But true, yes. And the whole library bit just sort of fitting in around everything else. And it, it really suits his doctor. Yeah, it does. I like this blackboard thing as well. Yeah. I quite like the way the new series does the reverse of the police box doors. Oh, you mean where it's actually the... Yeah, yeah. yeah as opposed to yes. the inward swinging doors. And I can understand why they did the, the mm. they do the inward swinging doors from a, um, a production perspective. <clears throat> well, it never really... It was never really clear. Because if you look at uh, certainly the early Hartnells and... Um, even some of the Pertwee ones, it's never really clear mm. whether the backside of the doors is supposed to be the police box doors. Because in some episodes, mm. the doors open it open straight onto the landscape. In others, it's a black void and there's clearly a, a gap between yeah. the inner and outer doors. Um, this, I much prefer it. In fact, they've gone one step further with uh, Jodie Whittaker and, and her set is the full police box now. 
there's even the backside of the police box inside the TARDIS. Yeah, which I, I do prefer to the, the the whole original series, sort of Black Void. Mm. Although you can understand from a production <clears throat> perspective why that would be an easier thing to do. A, a lot easier, yeah. In fact, I think there's one Pertwee story where the doors open and you can see the studio wall. <laughs> so that was Mummy on the Orient Express. It was. I really enjoyed that. That was lovely. I, I remember enjoying it when I first watched it. It hasn't disappointed this time around. It never does. It's one of those go-to episodes, from certainly from New Who, that I really enjoy. Are we doing segments of the key to time? I thought we needed that for full series overviews. Okay. Um, um, and we can end up with far too many... Um, we'd have a scale for everything. We'd have a scale of scales. We would. But what we <laughs> do have a scale for is the Drag Queen Index. I am Persian. Name your price. The Drag Queen Index, which we roll out for Doctor Who stories. How drag queen is it? Now... I wouldn't like to say because... I think it's quite high. Well, you would say that, but to me, that's a period piece. I guess I would say that because that's what I think it is. <laughs> well, explain, explain why it's drag queen Clara's frock. Flapper girl. It's in keeping with peace. It's still very drag queen-y. Gold and spangles and tights and showy and... Okay, I'll give you that. I'm, I'm, uh, on I'm, the Olvius scale. <laughs> <laughs> Four out of five. Four out of five Olvius for Mummy on the Orient Express. Because it really is predominantly down to Clara's frock. There, there isn't really too much else. that The other flappery type frocks aren't really that impressive. The, mm. the, the only other one is, is Daisy's. Uh, yeah, Daisy's. Um, and, and hers is a bit meh. Okay. Well, thank you, Olvia. All four of you. Before we sign off... It's time to hit the randomizer. It is. And what are you hoping we might get? It's more a case of what I'm hoping we don't get. There's Series 7B, which was the whole self-contained movie in 45 minutes. Never really worked for me. And anything from Series 11. As long as it's neither of those, I've got a horrible feeling we're going to get something like The Way Through the Woods or whatever the hell it was called. The one in Norway. Oh, that dreadful thing. Yes. I know that doesn't narrow it down terribly much with Series 11. Let's roll the dice. Let's see what the randomizer comes up with. Oh, God. Go on, tell the listeners at home. It's the Crimson Horror. Fuck. It's Series 7B, boys and girls. One of Matt Smith's later episodes. Uh, I don't have very good memories of it. Uh, but I was, we, well, by the, we've got to do this properly if we're going to randomise. That will be our next New Who episode. <sighs> we'll need more gin for that one. Is there enough gin in the world? Well, it could have been worse. It could have been Love and mon- Monsters. Sooner or later, it's going to come out. Boys and girls, thank you very much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed our commentary as much as we've enjoyed Mummy on the Orient Express. We shall be back in a couple of weeks in or a so. Weeks time with the next episode. Thanks for listening. As ever, take care. Goodbye now. The Exton Moss Experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Title music was performed by the BBC Symphony Orchestra. All featured television soundtracks are the property of their respective producers and no infringement of copyright is intended.
The programme was recorded in Rishton, Lancashire and produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.